it's a pleasure to be with you. Today I want to talk about the similarities between mortality itself and the female body. I know you've been dying to hear this comparison. I mean, ever since you were little and you were playing with your toys and your dolls in the background, you were like, yeah, but how is this entire mortal experience like the female body? Well, this is the podcast which will end that long phase of curiosity. The agent with which all form on the planet Earth interacts that we call God. That is expressed in the male form. It is incarnate in the male body. And we and the planet and the animals and all material form which interacts with God, all of this material realm finds expression incarnate in the female form, such that the way this God principle and this earth principle interact is very much a husband-wife scenario. The way the male and the female form interact to procreate is the way this God principle and this earth principle interact in all other forms of creation. That seems like it should matter, right? Like that seems like a big deal if it were true. And I know that it is true. And so we're going to look at evidences of that being true. And the first thing is this idea of conception. So to conceive in the physical plane means to continue the species. All right, it's when a woman gets pregnant. And that's the result of the interplay between the male form and the female form. The word conceive on the spiritual plane means to understand. It's the condition of, of obtaining knowledge. And it is a result of the interplay between God and your body. So to conceive on the physical plane leads to birth and to conceive on the spiritual plane leads to rebirth. Knowledge is what is gained through the process of rebirth. Every realm of, of the human experience, every industry, religious or irreligious, spiritual or non-spiritual, when knowledge is obtained, rebirth has occurred because conception has occurred on the spiritual plane and it is the result of an interaction between somebody and God. God being the possessor of all truth and the distributor of all truth. And so God, everywhere God leaves a bit of his omniscience in somebody so that they invent something new or discover something or advance technology or advance relationship health and sustainability or physical health. Anywhere knowledge is expanding, God is interacting with human beings on the spiritual plane. The female body is only capable of conception up to a certain point. From the beginning to the end of the female body, period of conception is limited. So likewise, from the beginning to the end of the human experience, to the mortal experience, the opportunity of rebirth is limited. Okay, unlike the male body, which can participate in the process of physical conception well into the 90, its 90s sometimes, certainly with the help of some pills, as long as he can get erect and ejaculate, he can participate um, in, the, in the art of conception on the physical plane. But the female body has like this window, right? She has these childbearing years. And they are 
after that childbearing years, she can't conceive anymore. This is like mortality itself. Mortality is, is this probationary time. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. So Alma 42 talks about the Garden of Eden. And basically from the point of the partaking of the fruit, when physical conception and spiritual conception became possible in the same moment, mind you. Okay, note that. Because this was a time where physically and spiritually there was no separation with God. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in this garden. At this time, both realms, both the physical and the spiritual, fell from God upon their partaking of the fruit. The planet literally dist was distanced from the physical presence of God. Also, there was a spiritual death. There was a spiritual separation, whereas they had been in the constant companionship of God. Uh, after the partaking of the fruit, they, they suffered a spiritual death, which was separation from God. So both the possibility of spiritual conception and physical conception occurred at the partaking of the fruit. Alma says, Now behold, my son, I will explain this thing unto thee. For behold, after the Lord God sent our first parents forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence they were taken, yea, he drew out the man, and he placed at the east end of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned everywhere to, which turned every way to keep the tree of life. Now we see that man had become as God, knowing good and evil. Okay, that's conception on the spiritual plane. And lest he should put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, the Lord God placed cherubim and the flaming sword that he should not partake of the fruit. And thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent, yea, a probationary time a time to repent and serve God. And I would offer also a time to experience spiritual conception, to gain knowledge. Verse 5, For behold, if Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life, he would have lived forever according to the word of God, having no space for repentance. Therefore, as the soul could never die, and the fall had brought upon all mankind a spiritual death as well as temporal, that is, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord, it was expedient that mankind should be reclaimed from this spiritual death. Therefore, as they had become carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature, that's like the, the orientation of the body, this probationary state became a state for them to prepare. It became a preparatory state. So in this preparatory or probationary state, mankind is able to be reborn. They're able to be reclaimed spiritually from spiritual death through the redemption, through Jesus Christ, through repentance. And as a person receives God into their body, a conception occurs and a rebirth occurs and knowledge is born. And this knowledge is likened unto the image of a child, right? A man-child. But this window is not forever. It's not... Like after death, the time for repentance is, is forby. It's gone. In Alamoth chapter 34, verse 31, For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Therefore I beseech of you that you do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. 
For after this day of life, which is given us to prepare for eternity, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness, wherein there can be no labor performed. You cannot say when you are brought to that awful crisis that I will repent, that I will return to my God. Nay, you cannot say this for the same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the, at the time that ye shall go out of this life, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. So this condition of our spirit to which we attain unto this life, it goes with us okay, in the next life. So this opportunity for fallen mortals to reverse the fall by letting God in and conceiving in spirit, gaining knowledge, which knowledge then is essentially the same as righteousness in, the, in some context because another definition of sin is, is to inflict harm. And so obviously righteousness is going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be um, using our choices to sustain and maintain health temporarily like physical health spiritual health mental health emotional health for self and for other sin is the infliction of harm bodily or spiritually mentally emotionally and in any way the infliction of harm on self or on other but of course self and other are one so if you inflict harm on others you're inflicting harm on self at a, just a different point in time because as time passes things circle back into one, and we see that self and other are just one. So knowledge is really the ability, the competence to cease inflicting harm. The infliction of harm or sin is the natural result of the fall. It's, it's, it's coded into our bodies such that as we seek to satiate our bodily urges, without knowledge, we inflict harm. It's a natural biological survival mechanism. It's, it's not to be necessarily judged or condemned, but it isn't of itself sustainable. In order to create sustainable, a sustainable situation where, where all biological forms on the planet have their needs met, you have to have knowledge to be able to do that. Redemption from the fall is a process of gaining knowledge. You're not redeemed without gaining knowledge. You can almost synonymize them. That to be redeemed from the fall, the spiritual fall and separation from God, is to gain knowledge. In fact, if God is omniscient and we are far from him, then the return to God in his presence could also be understood as an incremental gaining of knowledge. Listen to this in Doctrine and Covenants, section 130. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Doesn't that sound a lot like Alma 34, where he's saying, don't procrastinate the day of your repentance? Uh, and if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness wherein there can be no labor per performed. 
and that you cannot say at the time of death, oh, that now I'm going to repent because the same spirit or level of knowledge, the same lumens of light that you have received into your body while here in mortality, that rises with you. But after death, the scriptures are saying it's too late. And so this probationary time where we have to gain knowledge or to conceive on the spiritual plane is limited. It's constrained. In the, and in that sense, it's like the female body in the way that her body is limited or restricted. In the uh, There's like a probationary time where she can conceive on the physical plane. So that's one way in which being mortal is like being female. Um, another way that being mortal is like being female is in the way all mortals are positioned relative to God in a receiving position, meaning that mortals in their relationship with God are only ever in the receiving position. This is why they're always feminine. It's because to be in need and to be in the receiving position is to be feminine. It is a feminine attribute to receive or to be in need. Everything on this planet is feminine in relation to God because, because of the fall, we are in need and we must receive from God. We must receive salvation in order to change direction and move back toward God. Otherwise, it's just a continuous falling away from and getting further and further apart from each other, further and further away. It's just a, it's an entropy. It's a natural dissolution of all things outside of salvation, which is the turning point. And salvation comes by reception. So that's on the spiritual plane, right? Well, technically it's on both the spiritual and the temporal plane, but on the temporal plane, females receive temporal salvation through males. But on the spiritual plane, all humans are as at the mercy of God as all females are on the physical plane at the mercy of males. So that God is in possession of all spiritual resources required to sustain life as males are in possession of all temporal resources required to sustain life. And since life, as we refer to it in mortality, is a combination of both the spiritual and the temporal, God is in possession of both. The resources spiritually that we need to survive and also the resources physically that we need to survive. But males are the stewards of those temporal resources. Men control the resources of the planet. They do all of the mining. They do all of the material resource acquisition. They do all of the changing of raw materials into substances that are used in production of all industries. Basically, all of the infrastructure, all of the food, all of the resources of the planet all temporal resources, all clothing, any temporal good that women and children want come through men because men are in possession of them. This is a likeness to all humans in mortality 
being exalted by God spiritually is that everyone is subject and at the mercy of God for the resources requisite to eternal life and salvation. That's a likeness for how females are subject to and at the mercy of males, collectively speaking, for temporal exaltation, to become joint heirs with men for all of the resources and material goods the planet has to offer. Men exalt women on the temporal plane the way God exalts humanity on the spiritual plane. And although long-term these are connected because we know that exaltation and eternal life with God is not just a spiritual affair, but it is both a spiritual and a temporal affair, that our first estate is to inherit a spiritual body and our second estate is to inherit a physical body, and that the conclusion of successfully completing our first estate and our second estate is to live eternally in bliss, but in, in a form, in a, in a body that obviously is different from our mortal body in the sense that it never dies, but it's an eternal body, it's an immortal body, and we live on an immortal planet, and this, so it's different in the sense, like our, the, our combined spirit and form post-mortality will look different than our combined spirit and form presently in mortality because death will be done away and we will have achieved sustainability. But it, the, the doctrine is not that spirit and flesh after this mortal probation separate and that we live spiritually forever but no longer combined in the material form but rather our doctrine, unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is that these two remain one. These two become one forever and ever and ever. So, the, the end of the story includes our spirit inhabiting a form eternally. Although God exalts us to that spiritual place of eternal life, which includes form, he, does, he exalts females and children through males. So, Humanity itself is like the female form on the spiritual plane in the way it is dependent on God, our bridegroom, for spiritual exaltation, spiritual resources. In the same way, the female form is here in mortality dependent on the male form for temporal resources and exaltation. In the same way, doctrinally speaking, we would say that humanity's goal is to is to be exalted to the level of Christ and the Father and become joint heirs with all that they possess. And what they possess is out there on some, in some spiritual world. So likewise, females are exalted to the level of males in the temporal realm, and they become joint heirs, right? Like men aren't the only ones on the planet enjoying infrastructure, enjoying food, enjoying the, the, all the resources that the planet has to offer. Right? Men share that. And so, likewise, in the spiritual plane, God shares with those who let him exalt them to a sort of co-equal joint airship. Just two different planes. Spiritual plane, all humanity is elevated to joint airship with God and Christ. 
on the physical plane, females are exalted to joint heirship, enjoying all of all that men are in possession of on this planet. So that's two. Another way that mortality itself is found incarnate in the female form. Actually, I just kind of want to say something else about that, is that it is as futile for mankind to exalt itself spiritually as it is for females to exalt themselves temporally. The exaltation comes through a relationship, which involves an exchange, a transfer of the resource required for exaltation to be transferred from the one in possession of that resource to the one in need of that resource. And on the temporal plane, since men own all of the resources on the planet, exaltation temporally comes to females when men give women those resources. And in no other way does a woman receive those resources. They are not taken by force. They are given. They are shared. That is how the transfer occurs. The transfer occurs because men who are in possession of those resources see others who are in need of those resources, and they give. And so this transfer occurs, and it's a sharing. On the spiritual plane, it is identical. No human can forcibly extract knowledge or spiritual resources, traits or powers requisite to accomplish that which God accomplishes with those same things, with those resources, outside of a willing transfer. So God is in interested, as interested, in sharing with all of humanity those spiritual resources which uh, make up his existence, his world, um, eternal life, as men are interested in sharing the planet's resources with women. It is... And, and the transfer occurs in a very similar fashion. Namely, the one in possession of the resource sees those who are not in possession of the resource and is moved with compassion and perhaps some measure of self-interest to share those resources. And they cannot be taken. Man cannot exalt himself. Mankind cannot exalt him and herself. Man cannot attain a likeness with God, living like God, being with God, understanding what God understands, having God's scale and scope of power and dominion. Man cannot achieve joint heirship with that by force. Man cannot seize that from God. Man must take a feminine position and admit dependence and request this of God and remain always in a position of receipt until God is moved to share. And then with that sharing, mankind is exalted 
to where God is. So likewise, on the physical plane, that was all a description of what occurs between the world and God on the spiritual plane. What occurs between collective man and collective woman on the physical plane is identical. In the home, this, is, this flow is very seamless, right? In a traditional home where man goes out of the home, provides, woman stays at home, and uses the provisions gathered by that man to feed herself and feed her children and clothe herself and clothe her children. This is all very seamless. It's not a big ask. It's not a big dilemma. It's not a big drama how the resources go from the possession of the husband to the wife to the children. It's all, it's all very much fluid, unstuck economy. It's an economy with great flow. Outside of this traditional family, you see... Um, women very upset about what I'm saying, uh, upset about the idea that they are in need at all, temporally, to men. Um, this idea that men are in possession of the resources of the planet um, is very much not acknowledged, and some uh, would very much like to deny this. And then I would say their counterpart males don't like that. They don't like the fact that there's not this submission. And so you have groups of men saying, you know what, men, let's go our own way. We are in possession of the resources of the planet. We are in the ones who own the infrastructure of the world. Let's just go our own way and not share with females. This is, this is the exchange between these two groups is difficult. Uh, I would say there's some damnation. There's restricted flow. Um, you get Maybe in their own worlds, isolated, things are going fine. But if you had to take you know, a woman in denial of, of her dependence on men physic, uh, for, for, for physical goods, and then you took a man who's upset about her denial of that, and you put them on a planet or on a small island together, and, and what I'm saying to you is all going to become very clear. You know, this woman's probably going to have a change of heart. And, and the, this biological order that I'm describing is going to, is going to come to right terms very quickly. This, this idea that women are not dependent on men in the temporal realm for the resources of this planet. It is just a fancy of a group of women who have been so thoroughly exalted by men and feel so insulated that they have forgotten. They're so far removed from the periphery where this transfer occurs from men to women that they have forgotten or they choose to be blinded to it. I mean, there are places on earth where there's no denying what I'm saying because in these places, they're denied access to resources to books, to education. There are men who are not of a mind to do that. And where a group of men are not of a mind to do that, it's very clear that women are dependent on men for temporal resources. Only where men have been so generous in their sharing and that women for so long and wide and expansive of a time and place have been recipients of male generosity and male interest in exalting women to their level. Only within that group can 
a new idea emerge, I'm saying new in quotations, that it never was man who brought them there, that men never were to think, that women have accomplished this all on their own. But if you study political science, political history, you will never find a political regime change where women took the swords and by force and coercion got their way and obtained rights over the infrastructure and the storehouses and the, the wheat fields. And um, there never was a story of that. That never has happened. It never will happen because of the biological inferiority, the smaller frames, the narrower shoulders, the smaller fists. Women are just not physically engineered to physically overtake males. And that is why males are, always have been, and will always remain in possession of the resources of the planet simply because they're the biggest and the strongest animals in the food chain. That's all it is. Um, it's not personal. Even if you, by design, injected females with male hormones uh, for long enough to, and you, and you injected males with female hormones for long enough, yeah, like you could like change the bodies, but you wouldn't change the paradigm. You would just change the bodies who then become in possession of the resources of the planet. You can make the females males and the males females, but you can't undo the paradigm of that females are dependent on males. All I'm saying is that the smaller humans are dependent on the larger humans to share the resources the larger humans can excavate from planet Earth with their strength and take by force. In this paradigm of men being in possession of all of the resources of the planet is typical of the procreative act in that males carry the seed. Males carry, I mean, the seed is this form in which the, per, the perpetuity of the species is contained, right? Like if you're a farmer and you're going to like move farms from, you know, Connecticut out west to Utah, you're going to take your seeds with you. You're not going to take your land. You're not going to take your soil. Okay. The men are in possession of the seeds. The females are the soil. And, and men carry that. And that's a type for the fact that men are in possession of all the resources the planet requires in order to sustain itself. It's not to say that resource and need are separate. I mean, they are interdependent and neither is the one without the other. It is, I do believe it is in man's own interest to exalt females, temporally speaking, on the planet by sharing all the resources. But I don't think it's outside of reason to believe that God has a self-interest in exalting mankind to his level. I believe that mankind and God are interdependent and that the same need, in quotations, that men have to share the planet's resources with women, God 
will have to share the resources of, of his realm, of his domain. God is driven by the same motives that men are driven by, to share the possessions of his realm with those in need of it, those who lack it, and those who cannot forcibly take it from him. This perspective, this is not a better than, less than paradigm. This is not a paradigm that seeks to demeans, or that even necessarily demeans by virtue of the perspective. It is it, it no more demeans women than it demeans mankind in its entirety in relationship to God. And the process of exaltation is the exact opposite of anything demeaning. I mean, it's by definition exalting. There is no room for pride or arrogance or superiority because in every way that I'm acknowledging female dependence on males for the resources of the planet, I'm simultaneously, by drawing the comparison, acknowledging my need and dependence on God for spiritual resources that I genuinely do believe are as essential, essential for the survival of the soul, that spiritual death is as real as physical death, and that escape from spiritual death is as needful as escape from physical death. I cannot escape spiritual death without God, and that it's real. Spiritual death is real. Spiritual life is real. And I must, I must be brought to life, spiritually speaking. As a male, I must be in reception. I must position myself for receipt. I must be in submission and acknowledge that and wait on my Lord. Wait for his timing and for his sharing. I am totally dependent on God to get the resources my spirit needs in order to sustain life and to have life, spiritual life. There's nothing I'm saying about women on the physical plane that doesn't apply to men on the spiritual plane. Both resources, both the resources required to sustain physical life and the resources required to sustain spiritual life are real. Um, it is a real relationship happening in both, on both planes. It is a real interdependence. It is a real masculine and feminine paradigm. And I would say that the spiritual paradigm is even more critical than the physical. It is worse to remain in spiritual death and not receive the resources that spiritual life requires in order to move forward and progress from that source holder, who is God, who is our bridegroom. It is, that is worse than for a female to, you know, tick off every man in her community and deny that she needs them, and then they all get together and starve her to death. Like... That would be less tragic than for males to deny their dependence on God and, and not obtain the resources required for spiritual life. Which brings me to another comparison between mortality and the female body. The people who on the, who on the spiritual plane deny their need for God and who are closed off to receiving from God spiritually are identical players in this formulaic paradigm to the females who deny that men rule the world, who deny that they need men. Females who 
genuinely believe that that there is no role or place for men on this planet. These these women are 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 blind to the fact that they are beneficiaries of men. And so likewise on the spiritual plane, there are atheists who deny that they are beneficiaries of anything from God. They are beneficiaries, but they're so far removed. They're like they're so far from removed from the periphery of of where God transfers his resources to them that they're blind to it. They're just sort of cozy and comfortable in the middle and they can't see far enough out to where the transfer is occurring. And um, and so these are similar. This is a similarity of atheists and feminists, or I should say a certain strain of feminists and atheists are very similar in the fact that in their respective planes, spiritual and physical, they deny while continuing to receive resources from the source holder, they deny that they're receiving resources from the source holders. This certain strain of feminists deny that they're receiving the temporal resources and being exalted temporally by collective man who stands in possession of those resources. And atheists deny that they receive spiritual resources from God, even while in the act of receiving their very breath, their very life and animated movement from God, who is the source holder of their very breath and life. So these are similar. I want to focus a little bit more though on the body, on the physical body. Another comparison is that the bleeding stops at conception. Always. Physically, spiritually, collectively, individually. Physically, the bleeding stops in the female body at conception. The whole menstrual cycle is very, it's, it's a physical manifestation of the fall itself. It's very much like the fall of mankind. It's just a constant state of death. The idea of bleeding, I mean, we all have blood in our bodies. The blood in our bodies actually keeps us alive. But what happens when you cut your body and the blood comes out? This has strong spiritual implications that about law and why law is so important is because you want to have this raw, chaotic passion that makes life zesty, but you want it contained within limits for sustainability purposes. And that's what the skin represents to the blood that gives life to the body. The skin represents limits, boundaries, laws by which lives and, and different spheres of lives are governed, right? You have a telestial life, telestial kingdom, a terrestrial kingdom, and a celestial kingdom, and they're all governed by different laws. Well, when you let blood, it's like you're breaking a law and death ensues. So this female bleeding is like that. It's just the symbol of death, constant running death until it's life. You know, people say like, life sucks until it doesn't. 
dating sucks until it doesn't menstruating sucks until you're not until you conceive right like what turns that flow of blood around is the male intervention in the act of procreation the male body is a literal savior to this egg crying for help in this castle help i'm about to be flushed out i will never reach my full potential without you coming to save and rescue me it's a total rapunzel it's a total disney fairy tale where the white knight is really white semen okay coming (laughs) coming to the rescue quite literally and without his coming to the rescue she dies another egg bites the dust Okay, that's physically. That's very obvious. Spiritually, it's the same. All mortals are as menstruating women. And that's a pretty good tagline, actually. Maybe I should name the video Mortals as Menstruating Women. (laughs) Might get more clicks. How are mortals like menstruating women? Well, we have this divine potential in us. It's like the egg. This is God. It's it's probably about the same size. It's just this pearl of light in our in our bodies, buried deep in our bodies, that can turn into more. That has the potential to grow and be gestated by our attention and and care of it. And then you have to what? You have to nurture it. You have to protect it. You have to preserve it. You have to care for it. Essentially, you have to gestate it. It's compared to a seed, right? Um, A seed that is planted in us, in Alma 32. And it grows and it becomes delicious to us, just as the child growing in the mother's womb becomes a joyful event for her. And it's 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 quite debatable, right, as to like whose it is, right? Who does it belong to? Does it belong to God or does it belong to us? Because the fact is it's a joint creation. It's a co-creation. Um, neither is the child, the, either the father's or the mother's, but both the father's and the mother's. So likewise, as our spiritual power grows, as our divinity grows, as our likeness to God's character grows, who, who is that? Is that us? Or is it God? Or a third party altogether? So how, how, where does the blood come in on this? Okay, the blood comes in with the animal sacrifice. The blood comes in that Adam, from right from the start of the fall, and again, this is a restored Christian doctrine. You wouldn't find this outside of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but this extra piece of the puzzle gives us a better picture of how this whole ABBA pattern that is found everywhere in creation applies also spiritually and to the plan of salvation. 
So Adam is commanded right from the get-go, for right from the fall of man, Adam is commanded to sacrifice animals. So there's this continual, constant flow, the shedding of blood among God's covenant people, right? Who is his bride. So the covenant people of God are the bride of the bridegroom. And there's this continual menstrual flow representing their spiritual death. And it's going to remain that way until when? Until the climax of the collective human story. When the bridegroom comes and conception occurs on the spiritual plane. Adam is the father and the originator of all bodies physical. He's the beginning of the story. He comes in the beginning of time. Christ comes in the middle of time. These are the two counterparts to the one great cyclical two-pole story. Christ is the father, the originator, the author of all bodies, spiritual. They both did their work in a garden. They both had a feminine counterpart with whom they interacted. The result of those interactions in those gardens was the formation of physical bodies through birth and the formation of spiritual bodies through rebirth. Perfect symmetry, perfect parallels. You will not find flaw in these comparisons. It's so beautiful. Only God could come up with a story this good. Only God could just tell one story a zillion different ways to have it be ultimately simple and ultimately complex at the same time. It's so beautiful. I'm so in love with the grand design, which is the name of my book, incidentally. Go buy it on Amazon. So the, the bride of the bridegroom bleeds for the first half of the story. And then at the climax of the story, her bridegroom comes. I'm talking about the Jews sacrificing animals. And then it is coming. Conception occurs. And they are no longer commanded. God's people Now, I'm not referring to the Jews because the covenant was taken from the Jews and given to the Gentiles. I'm talking about the covenant people. Now, they are no longer commanded to sacrifice animals or to use this symbol of the shedding of blood because of Christ's coming, because of the bridegroom's coming and the birth of the man-child, which is the growth of the church collectively, but also individually. So in the same way that Christ's coming led to the cessation of the flow of blood of animal sacrifice by God's covenant people. So likewise does the blood of war and contention cease at the coming of Christ into the hearts and minds of a critical mass of recipients. Okay, as the as as the brides of the bridegroom, spiritually speaking, grow, and the collective grows. War leaves. War exits the intentions, the desires, the minds, and the hearts of that collective. Now, that collective still resides in the world in whose hearts and minds war festers and grows because they have no conception. They have no spiritual power or ability to sustain life, to move toward eternal 
or sustainable life. They are caught up in this cyclical warfare, what political scientists call the human predicament, which is basically just the coinage for the fact that humanity hasn't yet received the spiritual power and know-how, knowledge, and strength to stop killing itself, to stop um, having these cycles of war and genocide. You know, um, the, the Book of Mormon readers c- call it the pride cycle. It's not just a Book of Mormon phenomenon. It's a political history phenomenon. And how to exit that cycle? Well, that's the menstrual cycle on the collective scale. And how is it overcome? It's overcome on an individual level when a critical number of individuals have had the warfare, the warmongering taken out of their heart and mind. They've become peacemakers as their savior. So Christ coming ended the blood, the flow of blood, dogmatically among covenant people. Christ coming into the on an individual level into the hearts and minds of disciples is who receive him have their own little man child grown in them which is a peacemaker a prince of peace you know sired by the prince of peace and the the wars and desires for war and divorce those are pushed out until they're ultimately eliminated this is how from the inside out Christ will usher in world peace it won't be some policy it won't be through the UN it's going to be through an individual, individual by individual by individual. That's how it will occur, through enough individual connections. And so, and also you know that Christ came to wipe away every tear, to end suffering. Remember, that's why the Jews were so disappointed that the Romans were still like brutalizing them after Christ's coming. But individually, suffering does end when Christ comes into you. Suffering does end. And in that sense, the bleeding stops. As the suffering ends for an individual and their tears, every tear is wiped from their eyes through the constant companionship of Christ, through the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost in their body, his coming into their body, that ends the bleeding, which is the suffering, which is the death, which is the spiritual death for which menstruating is a type on the physical plane. And so the female form iconizes the mortal experience. It's like a physical pointer toward what mortality lacks on the spiritual plane. So this female body is almost complete, right? Except for this one spot that's empty. The female body is literally an incomplete puzzle piece that cannot be whole until joined with her male counterpart. So likewise, spiritually, every human has a built-in deficiency, vacancy, abscess, weakness, which cannot be made whole without its male counterpart, without its bridegroom, Jesus Christ Christ. 